an extremely important update for anyone who's interested in updating their mental models. I had my compost barrel get stolen from my home. If you're anything like me, you roamed the earth for many decades thinking that people who stole things and people they composted things were two separate groups. Here in 2022, we find ourselves with the new knowledge that that is not, in fact, true. Not sure what to make of this exactly, and maybe your opinion on the matter may be a personality test of some sorts. See, maybe you think that people who historically have composted and worked towards taking care of their waste and have been thoughtful about their environmental footprint, maybe those people are now in desperate times. They've resorted to stealing from others. I also think it may be the people who steal might now be interested in composting. That's maybe a more optimistic view of it, right? People who historically have been, let's say not cool, thieving, taking, maybe they're getting to be better people. They're like, you know what? Might snatch a purse, might break down my banana peels and eggshells, right? They're trying to get their karma in balance. I'm really not sure. Still trying to make sense of the whole thing. It was about a, about a month ago, month and a half ago. This is being filmed uh, middle May. Um, so I'm not sure. You know, was it an early Mother's Day present? Did someone did someone steal it for their wife? I'm not sure. I will say it was in an alley. Um, it's possible they got it confused with things that were put in the alley to be given away for trash. But they they took it like full of a lot of compost. Like it was very clearly in use. Um, also, it was a rotating compost barrel. I kind of felt it was funny. They could have just like rotated the barrel, dumped the compost out, and stole a much lighter compost barrel system. But they they took the compost with it. They took uh, my coffee grounds and my my carrot scraps and everything I've been breaking down for many months now. It was actually my first round of compost that I cooked in the thing that they took. So it's I feel like it's indicative. It's a clue. Right, They took the compost and the barrel. They weren't just looking to get the barrel, satisfy their partner, be like, here, here's the compost barrel you want. I'm not going to buy one from Home Depot. That's ridiculous. It's hard to say. Welcome to the Never Any Becoming. It's episode number 69. I've learned no one cares what episode it is. I'm still mentioning it. Um, if, if I could talk about the number 69 quickly, though, not about the significance of the episode, the significance of the number, it's kind of funny. 69 used to be sort of like a counterculture signal, right? Obviously alluding to a sexual act in what was largely a puritanical, sexless, working American society. Things seem to have changed somewhat. We now have uh, world's richest man, Elon Musk, tweeting 69. You know, it's a way to basically get young people interested in whatever the hell he has to say. Same is true for 420. 420 used to signify like a druggy culture, right? Like, oh, meet up at 420, hee hee, ha ha. Now 69 and 420 seems to have been taken over by corporate America somewhat, oddly. And it makes me wonder how that works, right? Like if some of the, quote, counterculture movements have gotten so large or have gotten so popular that they've become the prevailing culture that they used to buck, you know, if... um they're zigging a former zag, right? If they're now the mainstream, right? Are we mainstream sex and drug fueled? Is it that if you want to say no to societal norms that you have to become straight edge, 
reject sex, reject 420 time? Not really sure. Not really sure what the future holds. One thing that does seem to be sure about what the future holds is Miami, Florida. I was lucky enough to go to Miami recently. I found myself in an Uber in Miami uh, around South Beach. And this is the second time I've had sort of uh, a clue as to what's coming in the future while in Miami, while in an Uber in Miami. Uh, Simple ride. Uptown Funk was on the radio, what seemed like the radio. I was just driving around. And then I noticed there were two cell phones in the dashboard of the car. One was on YouTube playing Uptown Funk. Music video, by the way, not just the audio, but playing Bruno Mars dancing Uptown Funk. There's a second phone right next to that in the dash, a little bit further to the left, with TikTok. Uber driver was TikToking, scrolling through TikToks as he listened to Uptown Funk, specifically on YouTube with the music video, as he drove me, as he was paid to drive me around. Now, I don't want to get into this whole thing like, how dare you scroll two different video applications at the same time while driving me, while I'm paying money although I did just technically say that, uh, I started to think from a video creator perspective, this must be the future. We have the standard long-form content playing, and we have a a shorter-form content playing. For those of you curious uh, about the logistics of the situation, he did have an earbud in his left ear with, I assume, the TikTok audio feed streaming to him with his right ear open to hear possible car complaints or of course youtube uptown funk kind of crazy driving that's probably the main stimuli as to what was happening maybe not maybe that maybe that was secondary tertiary but i'm assuming he was paying most attention to driving Uh, i would say second most attention to the tiktok screen and then uh third place unfortunately bruno mars he was pretty casual about it he had the he had the arm on the window like he he pretended like he was just like chilling and then uh, the left hand was there, still scrolling. Anyone knows if you're on TikTok, you can't just sit there watching the same video over and over again. You have to take an active role, okay? You have to scroll somewhat. You can't just watch the same thing over and over. So if someone's got TikTok open, someone's using a thumb, okay? I mentioned I was in Miami before. I had a revelation. This is two years ago, actually, the very beginning of 2020. I was in a cab the moment it was announced that Kobe Bryant had died in a helicopter accident. It was a horrible moment for the world, but specifically, of course, the cab driver we were with, uh, I was with my girlfriend, Shivana, and myself. It was a rough cab ride. There was, uh, you could feel emotion in the driving of, of the cab ride. Um, and it was like a crazy experience because I was, you know, there... And this is, I should mention, 2020, this is February 2020. So this is before 2020 became, let's say, infamous for other horrific occurrences. And it was uh, another clue to the future as to what would happen. Like, damn, 2020 is going to be a tough year. You know, you're you're trying to go to Florida, beat the winter blues, going on vacation. And then uh, you find yourself in an emotional cab ride, uh with the news that Kobe Bryant had recently deceased, untimely. Got me thinking, what else is in the future? You know, I, I was looking around in Miami. What else is there ahead? International city, right? There's a lot of influences there. There's lots of languages there. Um, Got to believe there's some, some knowledge. And I noticed a couple things. They were power washing the heck 
out of the area. I stayed in South Beach. They were power washing everything every morning, which seemed indicative, right? Like as Americans, as people, we're probably not going to be able to clean up our act. We're probably just going to go buck wild at night. And then someone's going to have to come through in the morning and power wash our sins away. I also noticed that uh, they were specifically delivering sand to the beach. There's an expression, oh, it's crazy. It's like bringing sand to the beach. They they brought sand to the beach in Miami. I don't know if this was a one-time thing. I don't know if it happens once a week if people with their flip-flops, flip-flops kick away so much sand that they actually have to restore the area. Um, but it got me thinking about my assumptions. You know, it seems like you don't need to bring the thing to the thing but maybe it's maybe it's not about redundancy maybe it's about doubling down on your strengths right no matter how much sand a wonderful florida beach can have maybe you can use more maybe you can use uh you know a a different type of sand maybe you can use a softer sand right so tried to take the whole thing powerfully um you know, with some sort of positivity as to what's coming in the future. Speaking of what's coming in the future, I want to start splitting up the content I create onto different channels. I have been putting my jam videos, I've been putting these podcast videos, occasional short music videos onto this never-ending becoming channel. And uh, as I've learned more about YouTube, it's a little ridiculous. I'm confusing the algorithm, I'm confusing myself, I'm confusing my close family and friends who are maybe just interested in one or the other. I don't think I had thought that I had enough information to fill multiple channels or I thought, I don't know, some sort of some sort of humble nature, some sort of Midwestern thing where I'm like, well, I don't want to take up any more digital real estate, right? I don't want to ask people to follow two, three, four channels if I'm interested in creating two, three, four different kinds of content. But, you know, I start to look at precedent more. Mr. Beast, for instance, one of the biggest YouTubers on YouTube, he's got multiple channels. Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast 2, Mr. Beast Shorts, Mr. Beast Reacts, Mr. Beats Gaming, Mr. Beats Philanthropy. It's a lot of channels for one person. This is a very successful person, so why not follow their lead a little bit? Mr. Beast 2, his second channel, only has two videos on it even. Mr. Beast Philanthropy has 12 videos. So, you need to stop thinking with all these limitations, right? That if I don't have like a hundred channels, excuse me, a hundred videos on each channel, that it's not in fact worth it. It very, very well may be worth it. Speaking of being worth it, living. Living is definitely worth it. And unfortunately we've had uh, a death recently in the drumming community. I find myself a drummer. Um, Taylor Hawkins, drummer from the Foo Fighters has passed away. It's a drug related death. Uh, talk about mental health here. Talk about drugs talk about drummers dying prematurely it's a thing it's a very famous thing keith moon from the who john bonham from led zeppelin uh specifically famous drummers you know people who are really skilled talented and taylor hawkins was in fact quite talented he drummed for atlantis morissette before he played for the foo fighters but uh i couldn't help but think different things about his passing it made me feel bad right i wonder how much and this is i'm not trying to insult him at all, because again, he's a very talented individual, and it's a shame that, that the gentleman passed. But how much it could have weighed on him being like, I would say, my opinion, the second best drummer in the band. Um, Dave Grohl is the best rock drummer probably alive. Drum for Nirvana.
got an incredible album he drums on for them, Crooked Vultures. If you want to check that out, Josh Homme and John Paul Jones, also Led Zeppelin, connection to John uh, Bonham. And, you know, actually, Dave Grohl drummed on the first Tenacious D album, which is also incredible work. I mean, just listen to this man drum. He's the best drummer alive. Now, I'm bringing this, I bring this up not to, like, rub this in Mr. Hawkins' face, um, but it got me thinking about how we all need to be more than one thing. No matter how good of a drummer you are, no matter what level you're at, playing the biggest venues in the world, being one of the more, most famous drummers in existence— I think you need to be more than one thing. This ties into how a lot of times we're told, find your purpose, find your purpose. I mean, Taylor Hawkins found his purpose, and he also found himself with a drug problem, and he found himself dead. You need to probably find your purposes, okay? And uh, this, this could be unwelcome news to many of you, thinking, I don't even have one purpose. Now I need to have multiple purposes. That's It's meant to take pressure off, okay? Not add pressure on, and... We all want one thing, one person, one ideology to lead us, but the world is far too wide, far too complicated for that to be a reality. I, many years, thought I was a drummer, you know, and thinking about my artistic expression and my contributions to creativity or the world, thought of myself as a drummer, you know, first screen name when I was younger, drum man, you know, 23, Michael Jordan, city of Chicago, you know. But as I got older, it felt like it wasn't enough. And it, it's not. I don't think anyone can just be one thing. It's hard to just be even the world's greatest artist, Pablo Picasso, right? It probably helps to also be a father or to be a lover or to be a community member of some sort. So next time you're thinking about finding your passion, maybe reframe it. Maybe realize that a table needs three legs to stand. That maybe you need to find three passions. Myself, it might be podcaster, video creator, drummer. Might be embloviator, talker, wannabe. I don't know. Not saying those things are the case. Uh, Last thing with Taylor Hawkins, you know, there is this movie that was recently released called Studio 666, I believe. And it was, uh, it's like a Foo Fighters scary movie. Uh, Was at a recent scary movie night and had saw a trailer for this movie and it was it's pretty upsetting to watch now because at the very end of the trailer, Dave Grohl decapitates Taylor Hawkins with like a ride symbol. And I know for, I mean, for a fact, Dave Grohl helped write this movie. And I mentioned Taylor maybe thinking, God, I'm not even the best drummer in this band. You know, like, what does it all mean? Dave Grohl certainly thinks of himself in more than run world. I mean, he was, like I said, is the world's best drummer. He then became one of the, biggest if not the biggest rock songwriter in the world then grew his personality his purpose to being a movie writer where he's now decapitating his well former drummer in the effort to expand his art slightly switching to a different art netflix releasing stranger things season four they're spending 30 million dollars per episode okay i never watched stranger things i'm not gonna talk specifically about the show i'm gonna talk about 30 million dollars though because that's a that's a lot of coin okay netflix stock has been down 72.41 percent over six months they're getting crushed they are getting crushed they decide to spend this money obviously before they lost three-fourths of their market cap and thus their company value but it got me thinking like what did other legendary or incredibly good television cost i looked into the sopranos 
my favorite TV show of all time, and anyone who knows what they're talking about's favorite TV show of all time, they cost two to seven million dollars to produce each episode. I know what you're going to say, James, is inflation. That was 20 years ago, whatever. I did the math, okay? I did an inflation calculator. $9.2 million inflation adjusted. So, unfortunately, that puts Stranger Things in the position to be three times, over three times better than The Sopranos per episode. That's a tough value proposition. You know, I'm not sure that's going to happen. And maybe this is why Netflix has gone down so much in value. Maybe the Mr. Beasts of the world, the more amateur-based content creators, are, are coming for the crown, coming for the Netflix crown, to use one of their own shows as a pun. Other numerical elements to this, this problem that Netflix seems to be having now, the cheapest camera, actually, for a Netflix-approved show? Take a guess. How much do you think it costs? $2,000. Obviously, you're going to need some microphones. It's it's possibly going to need more than one camera. You're going to need maybe a, a gimbal, right? You're going to need other gear. I'm not trying to be overly simplistic here. But $2,000 now for the cheapest Netflix-approved camera. And there's a series that's that's releasing $30 million for an episode for, what is it, 45 minutes or an hour. It's a pretty uh, pretty rough discrepancy, right? When you think about, uh, again, the value. I'm not sure anyone's really thinking about value when watching Stranger Things, but I felt compelled to bring it up. By the way, uh, Netflix now worth less than a $100 billion. Apple's worth $3 trillion. Okay? And Apple now has Apple TV+. Plus. You know, they're getting into the content creation game. Gotta wonder what's coming. Gotta wonder what's coming from them. I, I will say, though, I did watch Severance, which is on Apple TV. It was amazing. It's got Adam Scott. Severance, concept being to show where people uh, are different at work than they are at home. Specifically, they get some sort of brain chip installed where they can't remember what their home life is like when they're at work, and then thus they can't remember what their work life is like when they get home. Basically, they undergo some sort of transformation every time they're in the company elevator, and uh, they don't know what's happening in their AM or PM life. You know, it actually took a few episodes for me to realize whether this was fact or fiction, whether it was real or not, um, because I know people drink and take so many drugs now after work that they're basically undergoing a, a type of severance procedure at home. But um, also got me thinking comedy is really the highest art form, isn't it? You know, we can keep taking these comedic people, Adam Scott, and then we could uh, we could have them do pretty intense drama, similar to Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, right? Them taking very lucrative comedy careers and then shifting very successfully to to drama in a way that I feel like we don't see with uh, dramatic actors, right? The, the dramatic actors of the world being extremely hilarious, right? Comedy may be the highest art form. I'll say this also because uh, Ben Stiller also directs Severance, so many props to him. Uh, my camera has overheated twice, so I need to finish this up. I'm I'm trying a new recording style. It's going great. Honestly, it's going really well. But uh, I need to go back to at least one form of the old style. Let me wrap this up with another story about uh, Scary Movie Night I, I, I mentioned in passing when I saw the Studio 666 trailer. I went to take a, a whiz in my friend's bathroom, and I saw that right in front of the toilet, right what you stared at when you, when you urinated were... Five to seven boxes of Band-Aids. Now, I don't know. 
you could see this different ways, I suppose. But um, something about it got me thinking. Staring at Band-Aids every time you use the bathroom. Something you do, I don't know, two to seven times, depending on who you are. Is it healthy to be staring at boxes of Band-Aids? Is this a, a, a negative affirmation? Is this a reminder that you're going to get hurt? You're going to get hurt out there. Maybe you're thinking I'm, I'm being too harsh. But in addition to the Band-Aids, there was a box also that said uh, burn gel relief. Burn gel relief. Now, when I'm um, holding my member, I don't like to think about getting burned, okay? That's uh, a time when I like to specifically think about good things, uh, usually. I like to at least not think about fire and, and, and things that would, would singe parts that, that are important to me. Now, that's why first aid's in a box, right? That's why a first aid box exists. Okay, my camera died again. So final reminder, put your band-aids in a box, hide them, get them out when you need them. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. Bye.